we go. Well, I got a uh, long email last night from Rick Simon. A lot of you know Rick. He and his wife, Becky, recently moved down to uh, North Carolina. And uh, he was online last night and listened to the music program and uh, just wrote a very emotional note saying how much that meant to him and how he had been feeling some depression and sadness and uh, it was just a great uplift. So some of the rest of you probably felt the same way. So thanks to the many people who worked together uh, to make that happen. Anyway, it's good to uh, be together this morning. <clears throat> We're back thinking about this issue of transformation and learning how to live in God's kingdom. Last week, we uh, joined our little friends again <clears throat> who uh, are, I think they're in school, uh, puppy obedience school. And as we've noted with these guys before, two of them are really keying on to the lessons, the other guy, not so much. And uh, I, I love the picture in part because I really, I really get the guy on the left. And, uh, and, and what I've said before is, the problem is that the guy on the left isn't paying attention. But that's really not right, as I've been thinking about it. See, because all three of those guys are paying attention. It's just that one of them is paying attention to something else other than class. That's how I was in school. Uh, often not paying attention, especially if it was uh, civics class or a few of those kinds of things. So here's a point that we need to make, I think we've said this before, but I'm reminded of it with our puppy friends, and that is that everybody pays attention. You are paying attention. That's not, that's not the issue. The question is, what are you paying attention to? And so we've <clears throat> captured this phrase from Kurt Thompson, that we need to pay attention to what we are paying attention to. You are paying attention. As, as David kind of referenced in his prayer there, you may be paying attention to Facebook. You may be paying attention to some other media sources that really aren't helpful to you. Uh, you may be atten paying attention to some inner voices that you've been listening to for years and years that are telling you, maybe they're telling you important things, maybe they're telling you lies. Uh, so, so we're all paying attention. The question is, what are we paying attention to? <clears throat> so that is what we want as the background this week as we return to our two key passages here and we think about thinking and we think about feeling and those are different right 
And part of what I want to argue today is that, that in the church, maybe in, particularly in the Protestant church, when we have been paying attention or trying to pay attention to God, we've really focused on paying attention to what we're thinking, and we've pretty well neglected what we've been feeling. And so this morning, I'd like to talk some more about that. So let's go back and freshen up our minds with our two key passages here. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good Pleasing and perfect will. Ephesians 4. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. I mean, isn't that striking? Paul doesn't just say, I don't want you to live like the Gentiles. I don't want you to live like the Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. He's very aware that actions flow out of the mind. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way that you learned, the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. By the way, desires are feelings, right? They're not not just thoughts, they're feelings. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So here we have Paul talking about the school of the Messiah, about our enrollment in the school of the Messiah, the challenge for us to learn the Messiah. To learn the Christ, as he says it. And and in doing so, not only to try to live or to act the way Jesus did, but to learn to think the way he did. To have the mind of Christ. That is the goal. So let's talk just a little bit about what we might call the, the multifunction mind. And here's a representation of some of the parts of the brain. Uh, I, I'm going to use brain and mind uh, pretty much interchangeably. <clears throat> there is a distinction, I think, uh, but it's, uh, 
it's just kind of hard to get at. So for the most part, if we're talking about the mind, <clears throat> we're talking about something that's happening in the brain, at least in, in what <clears throat> some people uh, today call the extended brain, which includes the nervous system, uh, the, the spinal cord, and, and so forth. So not a technical discussion. But the multifunction mind. I've been doing a little bit of reading recently in some of the uh, results, many of which are debated results in, in, mind re in, in brain research over the last 20, 30 years, and uh, it is just uh, daunting stuff. I mean, they know just a little bit about the brain. I, I mean, they know a lot, but compared to what there is to know, they're just on the, on the edge of the frontier. But uh, extraordinary stuff, it, it really does reinforce that scriptural idea that we are, are wonderfully, fearfully made, uh, that God is, uh, uh, is amazing in what he does and what he creates. So, uh, I'm, I'm not going to try to focus on that because I don't know enough. And uh, I'm going to stick with just an old, ancient, I suppose, threefold classification in thinking about the mind. Uh, three general categories that we can reflect on. One is intellect, which, uh, which captures things like language ability, uh, rationality, you know, logical progression of thought. Uh, mathematics would go in with that. Memory, imagination, morality, our understanding of right and wrong behavior, and a bunch of other stuff could go in there too. But that, that kind of gives you the idea of the intellect, our rational abilities. And then there's that category of activities that relate to the will, <clears throat> the, the executive function of the mind, which would include things like determination, Decision, how are we going to act? Perseverance, are we going to stick with it? Self-control. That's the will. And then the third area is this area of emotion, which I particularly want to think about with you today, <clears throat> in part because... I believe as Christians we've neglected this area. Of the three of these areas, this is the one most neglected. Emotion is energy. Uh, Kurt Thompson, I think it is, who suggests the idea that emotion is uh, the gas in the, in the tank that allows you to run the engine. Emotion is energy that we organize our lives around even if we're not conscious of it, and, and a lot of it we're not conscious of. You know, we have this 
we have this uh, unconscious uh, nervous system that is always active, even when you're sleeping. And it's monitoring the environment, it's monitoring your, monitoring your, your body, it's watching your blood pressure and sensing, even sensing danger around you, and that happens without conscious activity. So it's an extraordinary system, and, uh, and lots of power there, energy, feeling, mood, attitude, desires. Now you become, you become conscious of the extraordinary power, particularly in, in difficult or surprising circumstances. So you're not thinking about you're not thinking about your emotions probably when you're driving down the street. Uh, you're half on autopilot like I am because driving is a habit that's built into your body, so you don't really need to think about it very much and it's bright, sunny, beautiful, and you're able to have your mind someplace else. And all of a sudden, you, maybe even out of your peripheral vision, you pick up some movement, and suddenly you're focused on the movement. And here's a ball that has rolled out in the street, and a child is following it, rushing in, uh, unaware, and what happens to you? Well. By that time, a lot of stuff is already happening. <clears throat> Emotional energy is surging <clears throat> so fast in your system that it's faster than your conscious mind. You will have to catch up to your emotions. By the time you register, there's a child, I need to stop. Before that ever happens, your emotion of fear has triggered the outpouring of hormones in your system, adrenaline and so forth, that have quickly activated your whole body. You, <clears throat> you may have been focused somewhere else, but suddenly you are focused very clearly. <clears throat> your muscles have tensed. Your blood pressure has gone whoop. Your heart rate has increased. And, and very quickly, very likely, <clears throat> hopefully you get stopped in time because of that sudden emotional response, triggering your, your muscles with, with hardly even conscious thought. <clears throat> and, and you may experience one of the first things that you become aware of is a, a sickening feeling in your stomach <laughs> as you reflect on what might just have happened. All this is the energy of emotion, and it's, it's enormous, right? This is the kind of stuff that you hear about occasionally of, of a, a mother who finds a child trapped under a car and lifts the car up. You say, that couldn't be. No, it can be. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and, and it's this energy of emotion. And, it's, and that's all good, right? But now suppose, suppose you've got that kind of energy, say at a low level. Suppose you're experiencing <clears throat> anxiety. 
and you, you, you can't even name it. You haven't even thought about it, but, but it's there. <clears throat> and that anxiety, that fear, is pumping some of those same chemicals into your system. And it's elevating your blood pressure. It's making you tense. You feel it in your body. Your body is ready for some kind of action. But, but you ignore it, perhaps, right? And, and it goes on in a long period of time. Maybe it's, maybe it's stress and anxiety that comes from your work situation. And you say, well, I, <clears throat> yeah, I feel some of this stuff. Maybe I don't sleep well and all the rest. My blood pressure, the doctor says it is up, so now you're taking medication. <clears throat> and you say, well, it's just it's the way I have to live. It's, you know, I need my job. But that, that energy now, doing, doing what it was intended to do, but doing it under the wrong circumstances, right? That is going to have a long-term debilitating effect on your whole body. So, so that's the potential with emotion. It's, it's, it's God-given. It's part of this extraordinary mind, brain, that he has created us to have. <clears throat> uh, but like, like the other two parts, see, here's, here's the thing we say as Christians. Uh, some, some strands of theology, you may have heard of this, talk about the idea of of total depravity, which isn't a very good term. Uh, I like to call it instead comprehensive sinfulness. What does that teaching mean? Well, what it means is that in every part of your humanity, every part, there, you can't find any part of what is you that has not been touched by the corrosive effects of sin. That's what it means doesn't mean that, that you're as bad as you could be, right? That, that's not what it's trying to say. It's trying to say that the effects of sin are total in that they touch every part of your being. And that means when we think about the mind, we've got to think about the effects of fallenness as impacting our intellect, our rationality, our understanding, our ability to judge and discern. It affects our will. We can, we can want to do certain things, good things, and not be able to do them. Romans chapter 7 is a long discussion by the Apostle Paul in just that very idea, right? I find this principle in me that when I want to do right, evil is right there present with me. And then you drop down to that third category, the emotions, and we say the same thing, comprehensive sinfulness. You and I, in the way we manage those emotions and the way they manifest themselves in our lives, we're still fallen people. And so sin has its hooks in us there in various ways. So when we think about being in the school of the Messiah, and trying to gain and learn the mind of Christ, we have to ask ourselves, how does the gospel impact our minds? How does it impact our will? 
and how does it impact our emotions? What can we learn here? So, we've got to renew the whole mind, right? That's the goal. Now, here's where I think we get into trouble. We being we Christians, not just we Christians here in Satterton, but more generally, right? And even thinking about Christian history. Uh, where have we maybe gotten on the wrong track here? We, uh, we, uh, we've understood, I think basically Christians across the board throughout the centuries have understood this, that, that key to being renewed in the mind is that we have access to truth, to God's truth. And, and that being in the school of the Messiah means that we learn what Paul calls the truth as it is in Jesus. So Jesus becomes our guide to the truth of God. And of course, Jesus himself, his mind was filled with scripture. So that's part of knowing the truth that is in Jesus is to know the scripture which was shaping his mind. So Christians... By and large, especially since the 16th century Reformation, the, the Protestant tradition has been so strong on, on studying, memorizing, knowing God's word. Right? That, that's central. And uh, so, I mean, we've, we've emphasized all kinds of things. We've emphasized the, the study of God's word. And that's... That, that's immensely important. So I'm, I'm so glad that there's a good group of you that are doing the Philippians study with, uh, with Dick. Uh, Dick, that's a great, a great thing you've gotten us doing there. And uh, anything that gets us slowed down and focused on hearing the word of God. That's why memorization is a great thing. And I've been really pleased that... Uh, that Emily Weiss is, uh, is really concerned for that. I think that's, that's really good for our kids. Uh, still a lot of scripture that I remember learning when I was a child. But it's good for older people too. This, uh, <clears throat> this copying of the Gospel of John that some folks are doing, that's good too. You say, co- just copying? Yeah, you know why? Because copying forces you to slow down and look at sentences and phrases and even individual words. And anything that slows you down, anything that helps you to focus on the truth is going to be beneficial, right? So you're paying attention to the text of God's word that's very helpful. So there's, there's all sorts of elements there of apprehending the truth. And it's good, it's important, it's, it's essential for the renewal of the mind. Here's the danger, however. The danger is that when we talk about learning the truth as it is in Jesus, we may easily come to think that that involves... Knowing more about the Bible. 
or maybe I should say just knowing more about the Bible, even including, you know, memorizing it. You say, Dave, I'm getting a mixed signal here, you know, is it good to memorize Scripture or not? No, it's absolutely good to memorize Scripture, but what we need to be careful of is that we don't have the idea that we're just accumulating more facts about the Bible or more facts about God. It's, it's a commonplace to observe and hear people talk about going off to Bible school or going off to seminary to study and losing faith. Or at least losing a warm-hearted relationship to Christ through that. Is that something that happens? Absolutely. Got 35 years of seminary experience. Absolutely, that happens to people. Not everybody, but it does happen to people. Why does it happen? Well, it happens part in part <clears throat> when, when people begin to assume that knowing more about God's word is the same as apprehending that truth. Those are two different things. What happens if if you get in this line of simply thinking that the goal is to become the Bible answer man, to know more about the Bible, to know more about God, to be able to argue theology and so forth, it can actually make you a pretty obnoxious person. Because then, then the big issue easily becomes getting it right and being right, and winning arguments. Ah, how many of the lunchroom theological debates do I remember? Participating in, winning. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very dangerous. Because you see, then you're walking that road that the Pharisees walked. They were good at debate. They did know. Many of them had memorized large sections. Indeed, some of them, the entire Old Testament. Because it was more of a memory culture. And and some of us, who have been Christians for a long time, or even for a short time, have grown up under the illusion that the pathway to spiritual maturity is to know more stuff, more spiritual stuff. I've told you before, I grew up in a very conservative, Bible-oriented group of churches. In those churches, the, the men, sorry ladies, this is the way it was, the men had a weekly, they call it the Bible reading. And... Uh, They got together, moving through a section of scripture. Virtually every one of those guys that came had a row of commentaries, and they studied before they came. And studying meant they came with guns loaded. 
And they had their opinions, and they argued their opinions. Now, was there any good in that? Well, they really, they really became amazingly, uh, without any special training or anything, they became amazingly informed and thoughtful about Scripture. And once again, that's a good thing, right? But with that, there was such an e- emphasis on knowing the facts of Scripture and being right that, that in fact, most of those men did not ha- know how to get along together. And it, it, was a, it was a sad situation because on the one hand, there was such maturity and on the other hand, there was such immaturity. And combined, combined together, right? Well, so that's not the way to the pathway to, to spiritual growth and health, to maturity, right? Just knowing stuff. <clears throat> now, we're not going to talk about the will here, uh, although since the Protestant Reformation, the, the will has really been downplayed. Uh, in some earlier periods, people had, had extraordinary uh, confidence in the will. The idea was once you knew the right thing to do, then you could do it. Although there is still a good amount of that in the church today. And, and that's, that can be problematic because lots of the stuff you know that you should do, you don't find yourself able to do. And that's, that's the problem with the will. We're not going to talk about that here. What I want to talk about <clears throat> is the neglect of emotion. <clears throat> I think... Uh, Historical generalities are sometimes dangerous. I'm going to risk the danger and say that that I think in the history of Christian thought, this has been a major neglect. In the history of Christian thought, uh, including pretty much right up to the present day. When we talked, would talk about feelings, emotions, the general assumption sometimes just stated very baldly as you need to ignore your emotions. You need to know the truth and you need to do the truth and if your emotions say, I don't feel like doing this, the key thing is to ignore your emotions and do it anyway. All right? Some of you probably have heard that. And there, there is truth in that general approach insofar as we ought not to be people who are simply driven by our emotions. See, right now, our broader culture over the last half century has been a feelings-oriented culture, and we've paid the price. It was my generation that used the slogan, if it feels good, do it. What that is saying is, uh, let your feelings run your life. And there's a straight line between that and the addiction culture. Because addiction is feelings run rampant, uncontrolled. So, yeah, there's a place to say, uh, do what you need to do, not what you feel like doing. My bedroom was kind of cold this morning. My bed was warm. It was 6.24, and the alarm was due to go off at 6.25. I didn't feel like getting up. 
And I didn't. <clears throat> but I did about a minute later. So <clears throat> I guess that is okay. But you know, you face those tensions. But here's, but here's the problem, I think, as, as people thinking about renewing the whole mind and thinking about what spiritual growth is, we've basically neglected emotion. We've said, if they're there, ignore them. Do what you need to do. <clears throat> the problem is that if we simply suppress our emotions, if we ignore them, well, then if you keep pushing them down, eventually they're going to come up in some form. Uh, Christine Labrum, uh, I think, uses the phrase, they leak out. <laughs> you try to bottle them up, but you can't. They get out. So we need an understanding of emotion, I think, then, that says uh, not that emotion is bad and you have to suppress it, but rather that emotion is part of God's creation. It's the energy we organize our lives around. And the question is not, do we ignore it? Do we say emotion is bad? But we say, how can my emotions help me in, in conforming my life to the life of the kingdom? How can my emotions be the emotions of Jesus? I want the mind of Christ. So maybe a more helpful way to think about emotions is to see them more like uh, the, as we call them, idiot lights on your dashboard. The lights that signal that things are happening that you need to be aware of. Uh, now, a lot of those lights signal problems. Emotions don't always signal problems, although many times uh, they can. <clears throat> but, but they are signals. And, and here, then, is the goal, I guess, and what we've been talking about. Pay attention. Pay attention to what? Among other things, try paying attention to your emotions. Many of us don't do that. We've been taught not to do it. So what would it look like to begin to pay attention to our emotions, to those signals on the dashboard that tell us maybe that something's right or maybe that something's wrong in the system? <clears throat> This is an important thing. Dallas Willard, a couple quotes here, and then, then we're going to talk with, uh, with Wes here a little bit about noticing emotions. Dallas says, healthy feelings, properly ordered among themselves, are essential to a good life. So if we are to be formed in Christ-likeness, we must take good care of our feelings and not just let them happen. Taking good care, that's what we need to think about. Dan Allender and Tremper Longman say, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. All right, so we want to pay attention to emotions. 
And uh, Christine and Wes and I were spending a little time this week talking about some of this stuff. And Wes shared an experience that he had just had. And I thought, wow, that's, that's an illustration of paying attention. So Wes, why don't you come up here and uh, we'll spend a few minutes talking about this. Well, they're idiot lights if you ignore them. <laughs> uh, so, uh, this week we were chatting, and you uh, shared an experience that you had in trying to, I guess you'd say, work through some of the medical bureaucracy in, uh, in getting ready to have some surgery, you'll tell us about that later, but yeah. fill us in on what happened and what your experience was. Yeah, so I think I have this on. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, so a lot of you guys know that I've been dealing with some back issues and back pain, and I'll fast forward. Uh, it's led to surgery, and I'm going to have a discectomy on Wednesday, so appreciate your prayers. Many of you guys have known that and have been, um, am I on? How's it? I'm on. Okay. That was the idiot light just went on. There we go. Okay. So, yeah. So many of you guys know that I've been, um, I've been having back issues and I have a herniated disc. I'm going in for surgery on Wednesday. So, um, so on last Wednesday, I had a tele visit with my doctor and I was on with the nurse before the surgeon came, and she was starting to ask me some questions. And, um, and so she, she asked a, a series of questions, but she started out, you know, where's the pain coming from? And so I'm sitting there, and I wasn't currently in pain. So she's asking where this pain's coming from, and I said, well, I think it's, she's like, is it in the front of your thigh? Is it in the side? Is it in your back? Is it, I'm like, you know, I'm like hitting my leg, trying to figure this out. And, and at one point, I think I said, well, my chiropractor said, and she immediately jumped in, I don't care what your chiropractor said. I need to know where this pain's coming from because the doctor is going to do surgery, and depending on where that pain's coming from is going to depend on where he does this surgery. And I was like, well, when I, I leaned back and I came back forward, I'm like, I'm trying to get this right. I don't want to screw this up. I'm trying to tell you, but I'm having a hard time. And this is the tone I used. But I'm having a hard time because I'm not currently in pain. And she, she kind of, and then, you know, as the, a good nurse would do, she just moves right along. Like, whatever. I don't really care. I just want my answers. And so now I'm fired up, right? My stomach's like, mm, and I'm not, I, I don't like the, the, the tension. Um, but I didn't like your tone, and I, so I, I reacted, Let, right? And so just take a minute. Yeah. As you felt that in your stomach, what emotions would you identify your feeling at that point? Oh, I was mad. <laughs> I was mad. Okay, so, it's you know, anger. so it's anger, and I'm not thinking about it, but, but there was something that led to the anger, and that was, 
what I realized, you know, just a moment later was it's fear. Because if I tell her the wrong answer, the doctor's going to do surgery on the wrong disc and I'm going to, I don't know, what's going to happen, right? I'm not going to get relief from my pain. I'm not thinking rationally through all of that because I'm emotional now. Um, but so it, so it did take a moment to kind of gather myself. But when I realized, wait a minute, you know, talking about paying attention, I realized it was fear that was rising up. And that anger came from fear that I'm going to get the wrong answer and I'm not going to have a solution to my, to my problem. And the anger is that she doesn't seem to understand your situation. Yeah, and she's insisting that I give her an answer, and I'm trying, but I'm not giving her the answer the way that she wants the answer given, I guess. <laughs> so um, I felt misunderstood in that. Um, I, you know, and I don't know what led, you know, did she, I, I don't know what set her off in the morning or, or whatnot, but, um, but she was definitely on edge as well. Um, so when I realized that or noticed that, I think she asked another question, and I, and I just said, you know what, I think her name, what was her name? There are a lot of names I've talked to down there. Um, anyway, I said, you know what, I'm really sorry. I don't mean to be snippy. I just, I, I'm, I'm afraid of giving you the wrong answer. And, and I would say that from that point on, I changed in the conversation, but I think that point of vulnerability where I was able to name my anxiety or my fear in that moment, it felt like the whole conversation flipped, where she softened, where she was like more careful with how she was asking questions, and it turned into we were kind of joking and laughing a little bit, not laughing, laughing, but you know what I mean? It was lighthearted from that point on. Um, but it was that there was a pivot point where I recognized what was going on in me. And I realized this isn't my enemy. This woman's like, she's legitimately trying to help me. Um, and I'm trying to tell the truth. <laughs> uh, but it was just, yeah, it was just really the, the flood of emotion there was, was pretty powerful. Yes. And you felt her, emo you felt the power of her emotion in that. Yeah. First interaction, huh? Right, right. Because I'm sure she feels the pressure of telling, because the, the surgeon, I mean, this guy's brilliant. He's going to come in and expect her to have these answers. So she's got to, you know, she's got to get her, her answers for him so that he can make an appropriate judgment on whether I'm going to have surgery or not. So. so is that helpful for getting more of an idea of what we're talking about here? That even in the surge of emotion, to be able to say, uh, all right, let me pay attention to what's happening here. And, and you've, you've felt this in your body. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you've had experiences like that. Maybe today. <laughs> uh, so what, what do we do? See, the, the dashboard is lit up with warning signs. And what struck me about... Uh, about Wes's response is he, he paused long enough, thoughtfully enough to, to be able to name that for himself and to say, okay, this is what's going on. Because part of the problem with emotion is, not the problem, but it's part of the reality, emotion runs ahead of your intellect. 
It's, it's that fast, see? <clears throat> a fear response, an anger response. They're ahead of your active processing. So if, if you're not able to say, ooh, something's going on here, and, and actually think about it and focus on it, uh, the damage is done <laughs> long before you have a chance to recover. So hmm. great illustration, Wes. Uh, <clears throat> Let's close in prayer, and we'll, as a congregation, we're going to pray for you and for the uh, success of this surgery. Gracious Father, we thank you for the time we've had together this morning. <clears throat> thank you for the goodness of your word. Thank you that your desire is to implant <clears throat> the truth about you and about who we are deep in our hearts and to actually give us the mind of Christ. And uh, thanks for this illustration, Lord, how you, how you gave your mind to Wes as he paused to actively seek it. And uh, it made a difference, a good difference. <clears throat> that's, that's part of what we need to learn, Lord. We do want to pray for our brother as he... Uh, goes ahead with surgery this week. Lord, would you be present in every step? Would you give him comfort and his family comfort? Would you give the, the surgeons and the medical staff uh, great skill that this surgery might relieve his pain and allow him to uh, pursue normal activities again? Lord, that would be a great mm. gift, uh, not just for him, but for all of us. We would rejoice together if, if you would see fit to do that. So we commit him into your good keeping, Lord. Be his shepherd, be his uh, protection, his strong fortress, and uh, grant that uh, full healing may come from uh, this week's experience. And for all of us, Lord, help us to walk with you this week <clears throat> and to receive your grace and to live in your truth and to increasingly develop the mind of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Receive this blessing. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good thing to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Go in his peace. That was great. So we'll do it again.